That's the podcast for your big questions. Get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald, founder of Mission USA. Insert pithy statement here. The Glenn Bods is up and running quite nicely. Also joining us, another co-host, Jed Brewer. Well, hello and greetings. Not with us again this week. Still on special assignment is regular co-host, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, No Christ Tennessee, Lee Younger. And being that Lee, our current resident Southerner, is away, I feel that the door is open for us to have a good, solid winter gripe emergency. Oh, mm. yes. As it's you- time. Hey, folks. Matt from the future here. Uh, when we recorded this episode, the uh, terrible weather had not yet hit uh, Texas and other areas and all the problems with the electrical grid and all the folks in the rough situations around there had not happened yet. So I wanted to make sure we were clear on that before we went on to uh, do several minutes of jokes and complaining about how bad the weather is where we are. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers go out to all the folks in Texas. If you can find a way to give to a charity or a mutual aid society down there, I'm sure that would be much appreciated. But in the meantime, I hope you can uh, sit back and laugh with us for a few minutes about some far less severe winter weather gripes. Take it away, me from the past. As we're recording this, the temperature outside is four degrees, and we're expecting another, keep that in mind, another eight inches of snow here in the fine (laughs) west side of Chicago. So uh, for those of you who don't have to experience that because you didn't, I don't know, anger a genie or whatever reason we all live here. Um, uh, gentlemen, if we could, if we could share the experience with the people, take them inside the sights and sounds of winter in this fine city. Well, we, we had like, um, you know, it was like maybe four inches of snow and it was no big deal. And, uh, it got pretty cold. So it never did thaw. And then, we got like eight inches of snow and it was pretty deep and we we're all digging pretty hard. And then it, then it, that didn't thaw and didn't go anywhere. So it was piling up pretty high, you know, kind of knee high, you know, uh, uh, a pathway that you carve out of your sidewalk to get to your car and stuff. And then we got some more snow and then some more after that. And it's none of it's melting. Uh, we, here's a, here's my favorite factoid is we have people come over on Saturday and we put together the bridge live broadcast that people see on Tuesday and they recorded in my basement. So that's, that's the one day we have to make sure we keep the sidewalk shoveled and lots of salt put down and everything. So nobody flips and cracks their head open. And, uh, for the last three Saturdays, it has snowed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the exact time when people are coming over in a way that makes it impossible to keep it from, you know, piling up. So, um, I'm just wondering, um, you know, what sort of, uh, sin, and I don't want to point any fingers at anybody in particular, but just what sort of sin that may have been committed by, like, for example, either Matt or Jed, I'm not, not anybody in particular, but just who can we blame for this? I think there's plenty of blame to go around. I will share on our last uh, bridge recording day, I was uh, walking down to Glennon Jane's, even though it was actively snowing and about 12 degrees, because that seemed much safer than driving. Because <laughs> especially if you grew up in the South, like I did, you were, you were fed a lie, which is people in Northern cities that get a lot of weather know how to drive in the snow. That's not true. They just drive as if there were no snow and take their chances. Yep. So people who have driven on mud know how to drive on the snow. Where I come from, we drive in a lot of mud. Yes, it turns out it's not that that difficult to go slower. <laughs> but that has not reached our our uh, native Chicago friends. And I was uh, you may not know this, this is another fun fact. Illinois is the flattest state in the union as far as just total change in elevation. Quite really? flat around here. There's one very minor hill to get like 
a bridge that goes over an interstate around where we live that I was going up. And it's the gentlest incline you've ever seen. And at some point, the fresh snow was on top of the ice in a way that I just started sliding backwards. <laughs> now, was there a cartoon noise playing in your head? Or diggity, 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 and you're just kind of going backwards? Well, that was, in, in the moment, it was, do I just kind of keep flat-footed and just wait till the slide ends? Or do I try to get right. some traction and do the, the Bugs Bunny spinning in midair that Glenn is describing there? So these are the idea. These are the things you never thought you'd have to uh, encounter just to get through winter. Well, I just checked because you know the, the thing about the Chicago area is the, the weather changes rapidly. We are now in in my neck of the woods. We are now down to one degree. Oh, um, a degree, a degree. And you may be wondering, like you know, if you haven't lived in this kind of area, and I hope you haven't, because why would you? How cold is that? To put it in context. I went out earlier when it was slightly warmer than this, and I had on a T-shirt followed by a thick hoodie, followed by a down vest, followed by a wool coat. And the wind cut through that as though I were wearing nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's that cold. It is that cold. And also for our uh, native Midwest friends, um, they they seek to show their own kind of inherent uh, superiority in that in said in this exact weather, I've seen at least two people in the last two weeks walking around in shorts. <laughs> yeah. Just just because they're going with the full if you don't think it's cold, it won't be cold. Yeah, it's um it, it well it does get to your brain after a while. You know, you you start saying, you know, it it just seems like it's personal at some point. Like Somebody should make it stop, and you you know it just it keeps piling up. Uh, it, at some point, we will just run out of places to put snow. I just need yeah. the world to understand that. Yeah, but until then, we have twelve foot mounds of ice in every parking lot you can find. Because that's what they do with April. snow that will melt. They just shovel it into brown piles. Here's the aspect that happens most winters, and it's coming soon in this one, where you know that in kind of a 1984 sense, your brain has been broken, is <coughs> it will have been, it's going to start to warm up on Thursday, and it will have been two solid weeks of being <clears throat> way too cold to walk for more than about five minutes outside. I mean, like, yeah. massively Arctic cold. And again, starting you know Thursday and Friday, it's going to actually hit like 30 degrees. And we're all going to go outside and be like, I feel like I'm at the beach. Like, this that's, feels that's balmy. Right. Yeah. This is amazing. That's how you know that Chicago has broken you. Moment when you open your phone in the morning, check your weather app, and say out loud to yourself, oh, 28, but the sun's out. That's not bad. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Sun's out. There's no wind today. Man, it's going to feel like July. I might go for a jog. That's right. Yes, I I was telling the the guys before we hit record here. I was I was driving back from somewhere and saw this is a new one. I've lived here for nine years now. This is a new one on me. I was at a stoplight, kind of where near, near we live, so I had some time. I looked over and I thought, man, those guys are shoveling quite vigorously. And I realized that they had like pickaxes that you would use to dig up, you know, a hole in your yard, and were just going as hard as they could, John Henry style. <laughs> on the sheet of ice in front of their walkway. You need mining equipment to leave your house. <laughs> yeah, my one of my favorite things is, you know, like um when the when it's normally like this, it, you have like you you breathe out of your nose and your mouth and the moisture immediately freezes so your your mustache and your your beard just become encrusted with ice. Uh, but thankfully, we're all wearing masks, so that provides a little bit of warmth, which is, you know, it makes you wonder why we weren't doing that all along. But in my case, yeah, I've got the beard, so uh, the the moisture sort of uh, comes out of the bottom of the mask where the where the beard is and freezes there. So you get sort of this... Um, 
frozen neckerchief kind of feel. <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, that's not what you want. Gather round, children, and we will tell you the legend of Icebeard. <laughs> yeah, it has been a new wrinkle this year. Is it is when you if, when it is as Jed points out, old, cold enough or warm, warm enough again that you can actually can't walk outside for more than ten minutes. Um, when you have to have a mask on, it's there's the the way that starts is as Je, as Glenn points out. Oh, this is actually this is an improvement because normally you'd have to get a a net gaiter or a scarf or something that's really cold and pulled up every face. So this is already there and it's responsible and it's a good thing. And then you do said breathing into it. So the inside of it, if you're wearing a fabric mask, gets slightly wet. And now you got a frozen mask on your face. Yep. Yeah. What I love is, is uh, I saw this a couple of times the other day. I was out running around. It was, it was just crazy, insane, cold. And I saw a couple of different people coming out of the store. And they had their mask on in the store. And they go out in the freezing cold where their face is going to freeze. And they immediately whip the mask off, like, oh, man, I'm tired of wearing that thing. Let me get out of this freezing cold and let my face get numb. Yeah. I'm like, you know, that's, I, I, don't, th- I don't think you thought that one through. <laughs> it was probably about a, a few weeks, a month ago, I did something I knew was going to be coming since, you know, the whole, where we had to wear the mask. And I walked into a store with hat, gloves hoodie and mask on i cannot bear wearing a hat indoors it just feels wrong to me and yeah, it gets warm too. you know this so i take off the gloves on the hoodie take off the hat and as i'm taking things off i just instinctively start taking my mask off because that's what i do when i got home and yeah. realized that i almost did like a weird power play where i just walked <laughs> into a store with the mask on and then performatively <laughs> <laughs> took it off and I'd like gotten one loop off my ear before I was like, Oh, public, public in public. That's incredible, dude. That and is I almost awesome. ended up on some kind of viral video getting chewed out in a totally uh, contextless way. <laughs> well, the one thing, you know, the last, <laughs> the last three weeks have been pretty unreal on the weather tip. The one thing we have not had this winter and, um, you know, we're just, prayers up that we don't. Is thunder snow? Thunder snow. That's yeah. real, y'all. That is. You think you've seen all the types of weather if you're a certain age, and you're just not prepared for that. Yeah, you want to feel like it's the apocalypse? You know, the actual end <laughs> of the world. Thunder snow. Yeah. That, well, that, what's weird about that is people don't realize if you live in a warm climate. We don't see rain or thunder for, you know, six months of the year. It yeah. just, you know, they're just things you never see for that half of the year when suddenly there's thunder in the <laughs> middle of winter. It's like, oh, no, it's it's really I you, you start saying, I hope that's some kind of an explosion. <laughs> Y'all people need to start repenting now. Yeah. Just in every conceivable direction. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we hope that if you are in a winter climate yourself, that that has been uh, cathartic and you have in, uh, enjoyed our commiseration. And we hope that if you ha- live somewhere where it's meant for people to live, you've enjoyed laughing at our pain. We'll take it either yeah. way. We aim to entertain and we are going to, move on here uh something you can enjoy in the comfort and warmth of your own home no matter where you live is the bridge live every tuesday at 7 30 p.m central time facebook.com slash the bridge chicago you can also sign up for bridge box over at missionusa.com slash bridge box lots of good stuff into your inbox the first of every month we are going to jump to our first question here if you hang out this all the way to the end i'll give you some ways you can touch this or you can scroll down to your episode description and click the links there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, God gave me an awesome job that I really love. The problem is I tend to overwork at every job I have. If it's a physical job, I try to impress the boss by how fast I can work. If it's a desk job, I end up working late and weekends when no one asks me to. I end up hurting myself physically or mentally. What does God think about this? And how can he help me stop overworking? And it's a really, really great question. And 
Glenn, you know, in that last episode with some of the conspiracy theory stuff, we were talking about things that uh, Christian culture really valorizes in a way that's mm. ends up being unhealthy. And I think uh, there may be no more misapplied verse than will work as if unto the Lord without taking a thought to think about what that means at all. Well, yes. I mean, I, I think we um, we somehow decide that work is sacred and good and important. Uh, when the Bible says rest is sacred, we, we yep. had a whole day that we didn't do work on it, and that was a sacred day. Um, so we we do tend to swing to another extreme. Uh, you know, it's it's good to have a good job that pays well if you have one, and that's a blessing. Uh, but it's important to recognize uh, we need to have good attitudes and healthy attitudes about work. Uh, I say a lot of people, particularly when they start their careers, try to apply an academic attitude towards a work environment. So I'm trying to get an A plus here. I'm 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 going to study up for the test, you know. So I'm going to work hard and overtime and you know over prepare everything. And uh, the reality is, you know, you know, a boss might say that that's what they want. They may give you positive feedback on that, but the question is, are you? burning yourself out in a way that's not sustainable, in which case that boss is definitely not going to be pleased with that a uh, long term. Uh, for, for me, uh, as, as an employer, a person who has uh, employees, uh, reliable beats extraordinary every time because uh, extraordinary tends to burn out pretty quick and uh, they come with a lot of headaches and whatever. If someone can be reliable, and that's great if they are reliably good, it's fantastic if they're reliably great. Uh, but somebody that can deliver consistently, uh, that that's, you know, whatever it is, you know, on time or prepared or whatever, where I can I can count on them, that's really important. Uh, if somebody's burning themselves out and overdoing things, I'm looking over at that person saying, ah, this looks like it's going to come unraveled pretty quick. And, um, you know, that's, that's just going to cause problems for me down the line. So it's, it's not impressive the way that person might intend for it to be. So I think if we're going to move past that, we need to ask what is reasonable for a boss to expect of you and uh, to put that in a Christian context, as well as, uh, you know, just an employee or employer relationship context. Uh, uh, because there are, you know, there are workplaces where they will put expectations on you that aren't reasonable, and they know they're not reasonable. That's just how they get something out of you. You know, they'll they'll say, uh, "We expect you to work sixty hours a week as a way to get you to work fifty hours a week." That kind of thing. It's it's not good. It's not reasonable. But you have to set your own expectations. You have to say, "This is what you can expect of me, and this is what you can't." Uh, and you have to learn when to say no, when when it's beyond what's acceptable. Um, it, it's important to know ultimately as well, what does this employer really want out of you? Uh, I, I think, you know, for, for me, uh, again, as an employer, I, I want people to work smart. I want them to work efficiently. I want them to have good balance. I want them to be in this thing for the long run. That, that's important. Uh, I want consistency. You know, for me, I, I look at, and I think a lot of other employers would say, you know, they, they want someone who ha is uh, motivated, that is um, uh, bold and courageous, takes chances, uh, you know, uh, strikes out and tries to get things done and so forth, a self-starter and those kind of things. But that's not the same thing as I have um, a, some sort of a overblown expectation of brilliance and overwork and all of those kinds of things. So I think you might be uh, re putting that on someone else when that's not really what's in their heart. That's not what they expect. It's not really what they want. Uh, and if you're burning yourself out doing it, it may be worth asking, Lord, how do you want me to handle this? What is a reasonable expectation for them to have of me? And what are they really looking for? And if I know that, then I can be a good employee and I, I can 
work with the kind of integrity that I can be proud of as a Christian. A really, really good place to start off, and a very, very interesting uh, uh, kind of perspective from the other side of these things here. And Jed, where would we take it from there? Well, we appreciate your question a lot. Uh, I'm going to read you a Bible verse. It's actually one of my very, very favorites. So it's the beginning of Psalm 127, and interestingly, uh, this psalm is directly attributed to Solomon, who, as you may recall, was considered quite a wise person. And so uh, this dude who uh, accomplished a lot in worldly terms uh, writes the following, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And that's one of my favorite passages in Scripture for for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons why it's my favorite is that I think if you wrap your brain around it, there's a lot of peace to be had. Glenn is absolutely right that we, particularly in American culture and in American Christian culture, we have a way of valorizing certain things and and creating a value system to reward certain ideas. And and one of them, which I think is running through your question, is this idea of being a go-getter. And, you know, any any opportunity that anybody gives me, I'm going to max it out. You know, you let me, you know, start working at the McDonald's, you know, I'm going to be, you know, shift supervisor, and then I'm going to be the manager, and then I'm going to have a franchise, and then I'm going to have 10 franchises. You know, any opportunity, I'm going to take it to the limit. And again, we really, really like that idea in American culture, and we really like it actually in Christian culture. But the thing about it is life often doesn't work that way, and we have a way of putting a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves and a tremendous amount of um, expectations that may or may not be in any way tethered to reality. Because if we if we use the McDonald's example, um, I think for plenty of people, getting that job and just just keeping it and just having it for a while is a huge accomplishment. But if we really internalize this massive go-getter stuff, then if you're not like a manager three months in, then basically you're a failure who didn't work hard enough. And man, that's not a good way to live. Um, it's those are not expectations that are that are you know moored to reality. Critically, and this again is where we come back to the scripture passage, they're not scriptural expectations either. What this passage is saying is anything of depth and substance in our lives and in the world is only going to get there if God makes it that way. Yes, God has a role for us to play. Um, You know, if a house is going to get built, somebody has to hang some drywall, and God may well want you to be the person that hangs the drywall, but for the house to really come together and stand and be strong and do what it's meant to do, that's up to the Lord to do that. The Lord has to build that house. The same thing with with watching over the city. And when we take that attitude and that vibe of, if it's going to be, it's up to me, which it rhymes. That's how you know it must be true and accurate and something to base your life upon. When we take that attitude of, if it's going to be, it's up to me, it's really easy for that to drive us to work harder than makes sense, and to try and do more than we can really pull off, to get into the kind of patterns that Glenn is talking about where we actually become counterproductive and we're you know making things worse as opposed to better. I think one of the things that does not get talked about hardly ever in Christian circles is the idea of an appropriate amount of work and a reasonable amount of participation. Um, I had a pastor friend who once used the phrase, and I, I stole it and I'm using it ever since. He talked about participating responsibly in what God is doing. And that's actually a great way for Christians to think about all kinds of aspects of their lives is, I'm relying on God to do this thing. I want to participate responsibly in it. I'm meant to be a participant. He has a role for me to play, and I want to be faithful in that. But he is the one who is doing this thing. He's the one who's building the house. He's the one who's safeguarding the city. It's his project. Now, we're going to read the the verse that comes right after it because it's really important. And I'm actually just going to read you the end of the verse. For he grants sleep to those he loves. He grants sleep to those he loves. Here's what's interesting. It doesn't say he grants success to those he loves. 
It doesn't say that he grants accolades to those he loves. It doesn't say that he grants really super well-built houses or super well-guarded cities to those he loves. Those all may be fine things, but it says he grants sleep to those he loves. Not only is rest a sacred thing, like Glenn said, it's a gift God wants to give you. God does not want you to burn yourself out, man. God does not want you to make yourself into a hollow husk (laughs) for the sake of trying to make partner or, or whatever the goal du jour is. God actually wants to give you rest. He does want you to participate responsibly in the thing that he's doing, but then he wants to give you rest. He wants that to be true in a holistic sense in your life, and so do we. Absolutely right. I think these guys give you a lot of great stuff on that. It's a couple of quick things I tack on the end here. One is, um, as, as these guys both kind of described, there is an inherent tension if you have a, a, a normal job. You know, we, we, we all on this show have super weird jobs where uh, we work with our, our actual friends and it's also a whole thing. But it, normally, you and your boss are at anta- antagonistic ends. Uh, your bosses want you to do the most work you can do for the least amount of money they will give you. And you want probably close to the opposite of that. So this has to be a bit of a two-way relationship. As these guys are saying, it's, it's a huge assumption to go into a brand new job and think, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to do twice as much as everyone else, twice as fast. And I'm going to, you know, volunteer to come in, uh, over overnight and on the weekend to finish that thing up. And I'm going to do that because I know they're going to recognize that and, and move me up and see me as a bright young go-getter. It's possible. That's what a, in a healthy work environment, that's really what they would see. It's also possible a, a boss might look at that and see, ah, this guy will come in over the weekend. I don't have to pay him anything else. That's great for me. Uh, and that's something you have to be aware of. Again, not everyone's like that, but you do have to find uh, a balance in that. And that's part of understanding those boundaries, understanding how much effort you're going to put into something. And this is not unchristian or lazy or slothful or whatever is understanding in a work sense what you're going to get out of this. You know, if this is, if there's a uh, moving up to be done and you'll do that by putting effort, that's, that's super great. You don't want to just uh, do a bunch of extra work that you're not going to get recognition or uh, uh, compensation for, because that's not healthy. That's not, that's not what we want. And that's not uh, putting yourself in a good situation to have a work-life balance and to have a, a positive experience with the work part of your life. That's definitely what we want for you. Move on to our next question here. It comes into our email address and says, Hi, I would love your feedback. My boyfriend is not gentle or tender with me. He's very rough and abrasive in speech and touch. He's a kind man, and it's clear that he's not doing this on purpose. But it's also obvious that he hasn't spent a lot of time considering his approach with women. As for myself, I'm not the most experienced at relationships with men either. I've tried to talk about this with him, but it doesn't really improve. Unfortunately, the more he behaves like this, the less I want to be vulnerable with him, both physically and verbally. He's had partners in the past, and I can't help but wonder if our physical relationship is satisfactory for him. Even though we are not planning on having sex until marriage, he seems so exasperated when I state or enforce a boundary, and in turn, I feel awful that I don't compare to what he has had in the past. Then he groans and says, come on, and I'm just so discouraged. I know this is a touchy subject. I would appreciate your time and help. Your advice would mean the world to me. Thank you. Well, thank you for writing in uh, such a an honest and detailed question. We super appreciate both of those things. And Jed, where would we start with this situation? You know, we definitely appreciate the question, and um, we are grateful for you trusting us with it. There are... You know, I, I wish that we were uh, hanging out where we could talk person to person on this and face to face because I, I'd love to ask you about a hundred follow up questions because uh, what you've described um, could land anywhere on a continuum from oh my gosh you need to get out of this relationship immediately and run for the hills to oh well this is all this is all fixable um, but since uh, I can't ask you all those follow up questions um, what I'm going to suggest to you are some things where you can begin to assess that for yourself so. The question that I have for you to begin is, is this something, this dynamic that you're describing, you know, whatever it ultimately turns out to be, is this something that you guys can talk openly about, right? Is this something where you guys can have a conversation about it? Are are you allowed to say, hey, uh, that was not a gentle way for you to handle that thing. 
is is that something that you guys can talk about? Is that a possibility? Um, if not, why not? And similarly, are there any things that you guys can talk openly about? Um, if there's it's if there's nothing that you can talk openly about, it's not that that's immediately a deal breaker and you must break up tomorrow, but that is something to really focus on. It is. It has been said to the point that it feels like a hackneyed cliche, but man, is it true? Communication is the foundation of good relationships, like of all good relationships. It it is not possible to have a good, long term, healthy relationship without good communication, and good communication gets better over time. No relationship just starts with, well, I'm great and you're great, and now we will perfectly communicate with each other. It's something that has to be built over time, and you can definitely do that, but that kind of requires you to be determined to figure out how to communicate. You know, three of the things, you know, you said it's a serious relationship and and you guys are talking about marriage. Three of the things that you will definitely need to talk about before you get married and as you are getting married and after you get married are money and sex and in-laws. You will for sure, for sure, for sure want to talk about those three things again before you get married and kind of as you're getting married and after you get married. And those are touchy subjects for almost everybody. Like uh, they're, they're, they're full of potential uh, landmines for almost every couple, but you still have to learn how to talk about them. You, you still have to get into it because you have to figure out how to be on the same page about it. So with the dynamic that you're describing in terms of kind of his, his lack of, of gentleness here, um, we need to learn to talk about it for two reasons. The first is because it's clearly bothering you. And if we have things in the relationship that are bothering you that we're not talking about them, well, that's not that's not a recipe for success. Um, you know, problems don't actually have a way of just going away on their own. They, they have a way of of getting better when we address them and do something about them. But the second thing about it is um, if you are not sure how to talk about this, it would be a great place to begin because it's going to be good training for all the other things that you need to talk about. And if you can dig it, I think that if you guys really care about each other and you want to make this work and you are willing to figure out how to communicate with each other, I think you're going to find there's almost no problem you can't solve. I think you're going to find that there's almost nothing where you can't put your heads together and come up with some kind of a solution. But if you're not willing to talk about things, then weirdly, almost any problem can become a disaster. That's that's kind of the crazy thing about communication. So it takes us back to, are you guys able to openly talk about this? If you're not able to talk about it, why not? Is that because you're not comfortable or he's not comfortable? Is it because there's stuff that we're afraid to acknowledge? So my challenge to you is to figure out what's in the way of the open and honest communication And what does one courageous step towards honest communication look like for each of you? Both of you taking a courageous step towards being more open and honest in your communication. I think if you do that, you're going to love the results that you see. I think that's a great place to start off and really wonderful foundation to build on. So, Glenn, where would we take it from there? Well, I I agree 100% with Jed. I I think this is one of those where eh, there's a lot of warning signs here that may be pointing to relatively mild things or some some not-so-mild things here. Uh, But I I think the two big things that stand out to me is uh, we've, we've we've got a dude here, bless him, and uh, he's he's uh, not gentle. He's rough and abrasive in speech and touch. Um, that, as Jed was saying, that can range from uh, this guy is not, you know, the, this this guy is not aware of that he needs to do different, and uh, you know, is 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 not aware of his imp- is a effect on others and isn't concerned about it. That's a major red flag. Um, but it could be on the other end of the spectrum of this is a dude that does not know how to be. Uh, there's a lot of those in the world. Um, uh, 
some of that might have applied to me. At, uh, well, all that would have probably applied to me at some point in my life. Uh, but, you know, uh, bless her, my, my wife spent uh, the first uh, year or so of our marriage just constantly horrified, just could not, could, just couldn't believe it, you know, that, that this person could be this uh, crude and, uh, you know, just what on earth is going on here? Uh, but, you know, as Jez pointing out, there's, there definitely was communication about that, very loud and clear communication. Boundaries were applied, uh, things were explained, and you know, uh, you know, behavior was uh, uh, curbed to whatever extent it needed to be. Uh, but there's another thing on the other side of this, uh, which is uh, this was a red flag for me. He's had partners in the past, but I can't help but wonder if our physical relationship is satisfactory for him. I feel awful that I don't compare to what he had in the past. Um, that sounds exactly like insecurity. If it's not insecurity, it rhymes with it quite a little bit. And the funny thing about insecurity is even a secure person can be put in a situation where sort of the usual assurances aren't there. You know, things are missing a little bit, things that you would normally say to kind of comfort and assure somebody isn't there. And all of a sudden you start wondering and the, those, those things you wonder about and the doubts that you have start kind of growing and growing. And it, it looks a lot and sounds a lot like insecurity. Uh, so again, that can happen to a person that's not, you know, normally an insecure person, but you know, you can get into a relationship, you're feeling vulnerable. And this guy's kind of bro-y and he's, he, he's a little crude. He's a little rough around the edges. And, you know, he's he's not picking up on my levels of uh, disgust and, and displeasure. And he's not, you know, shifting that into neutral when he needs to be sometimes. And so now I have this feeling like I need to put on the brakes. I need to be more controlling. I need to be what have you. Insecurity can kind of, you know, and even if it's a temporary insecurity, if, if that's a word, uh, it can get us into this mindset where we 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 want everything to be just so we you know it's kind of like i i just need you to say this i just need this to be like this because this is driving me crazy and i'm having these weird insecure thoughts when that's not who i am uh and that's that's a, a completely fair and legit way of viewing that but it's also kind of not how relationships normally function. You, you you can't really write a script for someone else to say and then have them say it, and then you feel good. It's like, well, you just said that because I told you to say it, and you see the problem. Uh, so I think I think both of you need to kind of meet in the middle on this and acknowledge that uh, your your part on either side of that and come into the middle. So that's. Uh, him acknowledging I am rough around the edges. I'm a dude. And some of that is just being a dude, but some of that is missing some social cues. It's missing, you know, when, when it's not cute anymore and it needs to, to be throttled back. He needs to acknowledge that you need to communicate that with him as Jeb was talking about. Uh, but I think you need to confront within yourself. There's, there's a, this whole scenario is, is sort of, triggered an insecurity in you and a sense of inadequacy and a sense of comparing yourself to past partners that he's had. Maybe he's not giving you the comfort that he might should be giving you on that. Maybe he's even kind of in a, in a unintentional way, encouraging you to compare yourself with past partners and whatnot. But it's important for you to say, here's what I bring to the table. It's awesome. And if this guy can't recognize that and value it enough to shift it into neutral and act a little more civilized, then he doesn't deserve the awesomeness that I have. If you could get a hold of that on your side, I think uh, you can also require of him to get a hold of himself on the other side, then you might really turn this thing around to a much healthier place. That's all great stuff from both of these guys. A couple of things I, w- I would tack on the end here and to echo what they, they both said, um, obviously the, the, when you hear the phrase, he's a a bit abrasive in touch. Um, we are kind of operating on the assumption that that is much more on the, 
uh, clueless and unharmful side of things, because obviously if that was on the someone's intentionally inflicting physical harm, then that's a a, a just leave situation. So we want to be yep. super duper clear about that. But as these guys point out, there's a huge spectrum of that. And we're obviously, uh, because we don't have all the details, we're assuming uh, something a bit more towards that side. I, I would point out it's easy, and both these guys are a great job handling it to it is easy, especially if you don't have a lot of experience in relationships and setting boundaries to kind of boys will be boys. This in some sense of like, Oh, well, you know, who's going to be gentle. He's a guy. Um, gentle is a non-negotiable in relationships yeah. because gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It's important yep. to be gentle with everyone. Uh, for the most part, especially the person you're part of with, that's not an unreasonable expectation. Um, and it, comes as in a lot of ways in a responsive nature as these guys are pointing out and it's just not that hard to do you can learn to do it i'll give you a very good example of my wife wanting to do that with me uh, unlike my my co-host who spent a lot of years in very loud bands in front of amplifiers i actually have really sensitive hearing so one of the things we've we've dealt with in in my uh, marriage young though it may be is my wife being very excited about something or uh, upset about some work and telling me about it and me literally having to back away to say, I understand, but the volume at which you're saying that physically pains me. <laughs> and it's one of those things. It's would have been very easy for her to say, Oh, I can't be, I can't be excited or what, who gets, you know, I'm not even yelling who, what kind of wimp. To, and, but what she did was what anyone would do and say, okay, I'm going to try to do better at that. And, you know, everybody gets excited telling a story. It's not perfect every time, but it's one of those things of this is a way in which I need to be gentle with you. And you just can't have a healthy relationship if you're not willing to to take those things on, even if they think, even if you as the person doing it think that's a little silly to have to do that. That's part of what being gentle is. And uh, I would echo definitely and want to reinforce with what Glenn said there, there's a subtle difference, but an important difference here of he's had partners in the past and I feel like I don't measure up. That's, that's certainly an internal thing. As Glenn points out, that's, that's dealing with insecurity. That's, it's very important. And that, but that's a totally understandable thing on your end. That would be very different. And you don't mention this in the question, but we just want to put it out there in case that would be very different from he occasionally makes a sideways comment about how previous things were. Now we've entered massive yeah. red flag territory. As these guys both did a great job breaking down, what's very interesting about this question, and one of the reasons we wanted to make sure we we got to it in depth, is what we have here are kind of a bunch of yellow flags. Yeah, yeah. Nothing exactly really right. rises to red flag territory as you've described it. So uh there there again a lot of leeway here, but it really does break down to both these guys were saying the the uh, desire to communicate, the desire to work through, but also for you as the person you're describing, I I don't have a lot of relationship experience. One of the things about relationships is you get to decide what your non-negotiables are. You get to decide what your enough is enough line is, and you don't have to justify that. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, a thing where if you told someone, they would immediately take your side and think, oh, that is awful. You can decide what you want out of a relationship. As we've said before on the show, uh, go beyond being picky and go into being greedy. Uh, You have to express those desires and give the other person a, a chance to rise to meet them. Certainly. But all of that is something you definitely have the right to in your relationships. Move on to our final question here. It comes in and says second Thessalonians one eleven says, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. I always heard God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. What does it mean to be made worthy of calling? And a, another very cool question that we are glad you wrote in. And Glenn, where would we start off with this? Well, it, it is a great question uh, because I think a lot of people struggle with this kind of language. And I think they, they struggle with it because they picture something in their minds that they can't quite figure out how to do. In this case, you might be picturing that when when you read the word calling, it's a thing that God expects me to do for the rest of my life. This is a lifelong mission to do a thing. Uh, that's not what the, what he means by calling, but that's 
I think how a lot of people interpret that. So I have this lifelong thing that I meant to do. And then when it talks about being worthy of that calling, it means I'm awesome at it. Uh, it, that's also not in any way what this Bible verse is talking about. So, um, I think, and I also think you came by that, uh, vision of that language, honestly, because I think that's how it is used in the church. Uh, for me, when I hear the word calling, I'm, I'm thinking about what he's calling me to do today, which might be entirely different from what he's calling me to do tomorrow. Uh, he might say to me today, I, I need you to rest and, and recuperate and, and spend some time in prayer. Tomorrow he might say, I've got 12 people for you to call. That he, For me, fulfilling my calling is a different thing every day, and it is a daily thing that I look at. I can look at you, look at my look back at my life and tell you, well, I I've been in urban and prison ministry for the past 30 years, and you can say that's my calling. But that's not how I see it, and that's not how it plays out. The way it plays out is, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Uh, so I think when we when we're when you hear that word calling, I want you to think of that as a as a day-to-day thing, first and foremost. Uh, so then that leaves us to, with this question of qualified. What, what is that all about? So if I make good grades and I get a diploma, I'm qualified to do something in the eyes of academia and a potential future employer, whatever. Uh, I'm, you know, if I have a certain amount of experience, uh, you know, being an electrician, then I can be licensed and bonded as an electrician. So I'm qualified in that sort of sense. But uh, we, when it comes to calling type stuff, the, that idea of qualify, being worthy of that and being qualified seems a little funny. So let's, let me kind of give you a, a, a central thing to hang that around. Um, there are things in your life that are holding you back. They're holding you back from healthy relationships. They're holding you back from uh, taking chances, being vulnerable. They're holding you back from uh, living a rich and full life, whatever those things are. It could be fear. It could be guilt. It could be shame. It could be self-image. You name it. You know your life. Take those things that are holding you back. If you surrender those things to God, God will transform that area of your life. That's how you begin to be qualified to help other people surrender those things that hold them back and to be transformed in their life. You can say, well, here's what uh, I struggled with, and here's how hard it was for me to give that up and how I had to keep giving that up over and over again as I found more layers to it. But here's how God changed me on the other side of that process. That's what gives us a sense of being qualified because we've lived it. We've experienced it. Uh, it's also important, you know, this, this, uh, this verse is really saying, uh, we constantly pray for you that, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Okay, so here's, here's what I want to say to you about that. It's really important that you recognize when you read Scripture in the original language, the words are not in the same order as they are when it's translated in English. Uh, Greek can often kind of be scrambled all over the place in a sentence. And the reason why is there, there's a suffix on the end of the word that identifies what noun goes with what verb, and this is the object of the sentence, and this is the subject of the sentence, and so forth. So it kind of organizes itself by the little those little suffixes on there, so uh, when when translators go to translate that, what they try to do is to give the simplest, straight ahead version of that, particularly with the NIV. So we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling. Kind of the the verbiage of that is just kind of it, it just feels like a nothing sentence the way that lays out. But let's let's. If I say counted worthy of your calling, and I replace that with, can God count on you when he calls on you to make a valuable contribution? The same words, 
I've I've basically just laid them out in a way that that is clearer to get what the question is, what the meaning is, what the what the the goal is here. Uh, God is calling for you to make a difference in the world, to to reach out to people, to love people, to encourage people, uh, to to be a shoulder for them to lean on. He wants to know, can he count on you in that? And uh, that he he's calling you to make a contribution that is valuable because he's building valuable things into you. I think when you focus on, am I qualified? Am I not? When will I know? How will I know? What's doing that? Where's it going? Is this my calling? Is this not my calling? We get into all kinds of problems and we end up not doing anything. Can God count on you when he calls and you says, I need someone to contribute, whether that's time, whether that's talent, whether that's a financial contribution, or whatever that is, just sitting down and writing an encouraging email, anything. And God count on you in that. If he can, then you're fulfilling your calling as much as I am, as much as anybody else does. It's a really, really great place to start that off. And Jed, where would we take this from there? Well, let's uh, pull the camera back from spiritual stuff for a second and just, you know, look at, at broader life. Here's one of the things that in all kinds of fields of endeavor, everything from business to sports to the military, that really good, really effective leaders do is they have a way of inviting people to take on a role or a challenge or an opportunity that that person is not 100% sure that they can pull off. Good leaders do that a lot, actually. and. I think really good leaders are aware when they do that, that the person they're offering this opportunity to is not sure that they can pull this off. And they're inviting them actually to learn something new about themselves. It's not just, hey, I want you to do this task, but I want you to grow into a person who could do this task. And it's not just about the mechanical skill to be able to you know, stand up and and give the um, uh, the uh, the the speech at the board meeting or you know, whatever. It's not just the skill, but it's also growing into the person who has the right attitude and the right outlook and the right perspective for that role and that task. Again, that's something that really good, really effective leaders in in a host of things do regularly. And critically, one of the things that allows people to take on a scary new opportunity, a thing that they're not sure that they can do, and embrace it and go after it, is the willingness to win ugly. The willingness Mm -hmm. to recognize, yeah, my best case scenario on this is to limp over the finish line, but I'm, I'm willing to give it everything I've got to limp in an almost embarrassing way over the finish line and to have technically done the thing. One of the really restrictive problems that we put on ourselves, certainly as Americans and as Christians, is we don't just want to do stuff. Man, we want to look good doing it. We want to James Bond this thing (laughs) where we show up in a perfect tuxedo and we have a really witty comment to make and we do the A-plus version. But when you're new to something, and particularly when you've been invited into something that's a little bit beyond you, kind of on purpose, that's not a reasonable expectation. The reasonable expectation is, if this person thinks I'm capable of it, particularly with their guidance and help, I can probably manage to get this kind of sort of over the finish line, and I can build from there. That, that's actually the reasonable expectation. And again, at least in, in healthy situations, that, that kind of dynamic uh, occurs all over life and in the world. And I think that there is an element of that, and this goes right along with all the stuff that Glenn was saying. There's an element of that that's true or that the Lord wants to be true in his relationship with you is I think God wants to be able to invite you into adventures that you're not sure you can pull off. And that's kind of the point. Yeah. God wants to be able to invite you into a journey and, um, a thing and a caper. I think God wants you to be a part of capers. I think yep. God wants to invite you into stuff that you're not sure that you can pull off and where in fact you will have to grow in order to pull it off, not just in skill, but in outlook and in perspective and the way that you think of yourself and the way that you think of others by design. 
That's the point. The, the point is to stretch you. And it would be kind of boring if you only ever did things you were sure you could do an A-plus job of. And God doesn't want you to be bored. He wants to invite you into exciting stuff where you're also a little bit over your head. And critically, and this is the main thing, is God is not inviting you into that stuff with the expectation, okay, well, now you need to do the A-plus version, because that's not a reasonable expectation. God is inviting you into that stuff with the idea that you will grow into it little bit by little bit, and particularly at the start, we will barely manage it, and it will look bad, but it will technically be over the plate, and God being God will be able to take this thing that's wildly imperfect and do something cool with it. At the very least, that's the way God's worked in my life a lot, and I think it's the way that he's worked in the lives of an awful lot of people that I know a lot, and I bet it's something that he wants to do in your life. That is all great stuff from these guys. I, I will tack on a couple of quick things about the the verse. Kind of, I think Glenn gave us a lot of great insight into how this looks a little bit different in the original language. And we we were talking early in the show about some verses that really get twisted and pulled out of context to seem to say something much different and much harsher than they are. You know, this wording in the NIV of uh, that our God may make you worthy of His calling. If you, if you read that just as a sentence, it seems like, and if we think of you know someone being worthy of something or not, it's often a judgment process. This idea of is it going to work out? Is it not? Well, you know, tune in next week and find out. If you actually, if you go to Bible Hub and go to the interlinear and look up the actual word that's being uh, used there, beyond just the uh, the kind of syntactical things that, that Glenn gave us there, which were very helpful. The word, the other places it's translated, which is in the New Testament, which is a great way to figure out what they, uh, how to compare some meaning, are all things that have been decided. As, you know, in 1 Timothy 5.17, it says, you are to be considered worthy. In Hebrews 3, he has been counted worthy. Um, those kind of things where this is, if you read just the actual definition, is to deem worthy. This is... As, as Glenn is saying, a kind of thing, we constantly pray for you, you whom God has deemed worthy of his calling, that you would do all these other things. It's it's a way that takes a lot of that that pressure off. And if you think about it, it does make sense because if God wants to deem you worthy some of something, as we pointed out in a previous show, that, as Jeff was talking about with Zerv, that pretty much makes you worthy. If God, who is in control of all things, would deem you worthy, you have been deemed. It's happening. It's go time. It's and then you can put all the really good stuff about attitude and dealing with challenges and moving forward that these guys gave you into practice. Okay, if you have a question for us, set podcast at gmail.com. You can head over to the bridgechicago.tumblr.com if you want to keep that completely anonymous. We hope you will join us every Tuesday at 7:30 p.m. Central for the bridge live or Facebook.com slash bridge Chicago. And if you miss it live, you can always check out every single episode archived at the videos tab on that same Facebook page. We're going to take out the song this week. It's been a while since we've heard from Brother Lee, so we're going to take you out with a little bit of Lee in the closing song. This is Lee's version of the song, He Giveth More Grace. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, quarantining indoors in a snow-ravaged land, has focused and intensified the wisdom and also the madness. (laughs) He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiply trials, his multiplied only
Is it? 